Hello, and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Socks. And I'm Lori Socks. And today we are joined by early interventionist and child development specialist, Caroline Benz Fernandez. We were really fortunate to benefit from her expertise as a member of Liam's early intervention team. Caroline, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Can you just tell everybody who's listening a little bit about yourself and also what is early intervention? My name is Caroline Benz Fernandez, and I am an early intervention specialist or child development specialist. I've been doing it, I think, for 30 plus years now. And basically, early intervention is working with children birth to three who have a developmental delay or at risk for a delay. So children maybe with who are born premature or children who are prenatally exposed to drugs or children who are born with Down syndrome. Um, We come in there and we work with the family as a whole to maximize their child's development and get him going on learning. Why is early intervention important? I think it's important for all children, to be honest. But for children who maybe already have delay, it really to get that child on target to enhance or maximize their development so that they could be able to possibly go to preschool by the time they're three or go to kindergarten. It's just really just to work with a child, make sure they're meeting their milestones and work with the family um, as a whole. It's not really catch up, but more uh, maximize their development. Every child's different. So, um, you know, working on certain areas, we have the cognitive, you know, the social, emotional, the speech, physical, uh, gross motor, fine motor, there's all kinds of areas we could be working on. And so, you know, monitoring that and having the family kind of learn to work on all those areas as well throughout the child's day or, you know, through their routines of their home. How has the inability to go into the home affected the way that you provide your services and supports? It's actually, it's working out. I'm doing a lot of FaceTime or, you know, some people are doing Zoom with the families weekly and it's actually working out. I'm, it's a lot more prep work for me. So I'm kind of going through each family and kind of writing down where the child is, some developmental milestones. And then I I come up with three suggested activities they can work on each week pertaining to their, what, you know, their child is doing. And so, and it's great. So I, I usually follow up with them through email or text. I ask families to send videos. And then we also just do a live FaceTime with the baby and myself, and I'll sing songs, I'll show them animals. It's actually kind of working. (laughs) I mean, I do miss going into the home, but it's going pretty well, I think. Some families do miss me coming in, you know, and, you know, being there live, but I think temporarily it's okay. I think in that way it works. Some other things it's harder to teach via Zoom. Yeah, it might be. I mean, I, you know, a lot of it is I, I'm sending pictures and kind of coming up with activities of things that they have in the home to work on whatever their goals are, like, let's say stringing, but they don't have anything to string with. So I'll come up with like, 
let's cut up some toilet paper rolls and get a string and put masking tape on it and like let's work on stringing that way you know so I'm trying to be a little more creative and it's kind of going back to how early intervention used to be we used to just go into the home and kind of work with whatever the families had in the home so it's kind of goes back and forth sometimes that way it's going it's going okay do you find that you need more of the parents to be hands-on in this situation Definitely. And it's it's making me realize I really should be, um, you know, because me going in there, it's a little easy for me. I go in there, the families are sitting there with me, they're involved, but I'm not really, you know, I, I was just sort of showing them what to do. But n- now I'm being a little bit more specific. No, I actually need you to do this this week. Families are definitely having to be more hands on. I think it's kind of been good for them. You know, early intervention is sort of not me just coming in and doing it all but it's really working with the whole family and having them kind of also following through as well um, with what i'm doing because i can't just do it all by myself so it's sort of it's this I, that's why i love early intervention by the way it's because it's i work with get to work with the whole family as a unit it's not just the child and myself well i have to tell you that one of the things that i'm seeing at least right now in the situation that we're in, you know, being home and out of school is all of that early intervention when you would come in and work with Liam and I'd be there and we'd be working with him together. Now I'm seeing such a benefit of those times because as parents, we're having to work with our kids. And I'm finding that I snap back into that mode of just doing doing the work and this is what we're going to do so not only are you teaching these kids skills and giving them a foundation but it also gave gave me a great foundation to snap back to to modeling for the parents i'm glad i'm so glad because sometimes i feel like i i have to remind myself i i get so zoned in to working with the child i'm like well, wait, I need to really include my parents a lot more, you know, like it's really, it's, it's, it's a good reminder for me right now during this time working at home, just to, I really need to incorporate the families even more so, you know, so anyway, so, but thank you. I'm glad that that's been coming in handy, especially now that you are both, both your kids are at home. In your 30 years of experience, have you seen a change in early intervention from when you started to today? Yes, definitely. I have to say, 30 years ago, I felt like it was a lot more of just the teacher and the child. Um, I actually, back 30 years ago, I taught uh, children well, so one, two, and three-year-olds with special needs in a classroom. So parents were not really involved that much. Um, as the years has, have changed, um, it's really getting parents involved. And now it's definitely, even those center-based programs that are out there, parents are now kind of having to stay and be a part of that um, in the birth to three the um, population. I'm not saying three to five-year-olds, but the birth to three population, you know, parents are really encouraged to be involved because it really takes the whole family, you know, and everybody involved, not just the one therapist coming in to do, you know, working on working with the child, but, you know, taking, having the whole family work with the child as well. Um, so I, yeah, I think it has changed. It also, I think we talked a little bit earlier about used to be, you know, 
you know, it, it keep going. It goes back and forth. You know, we therapists bring in their bag of toys and we work with the child and then we take those bag of toys. And then, you know, so it, it's really important, I think, sometimes, too. I think what's changed is um, sometimes going in without your bag of toys and kind of just um, seeing what the family has and kind of trying to figure out what they could do at home with the child. Um, using what they have as well. So that always that always sort of seems to shift. There's therapists who bring their bag of toys, there's therapists who don't, and there's a combination, you know. I, th- I think a combination is great, to be honest. But yeah, so there's been some changes. Um, and I think, it's just, I think it's getting better, especially with the things we're learning now and, you know, us helping families more. I think, I think it's, it's, it's getting better. What kind of things are you learning that are helping? Now I think I'm really involving the whole family um, as opposed for, you know, back 30 something years ago, you know, it was just, you know, I worked with the child and that was it. Um, so now I just feel like I'm learning more from the family and what their concerns are as well. Um, I, I think that that has really improved and gotten better. And I think that's sort of helped me along the way um, is to make sure we work all together with the family. And for parents out there that are in California and have a child with Down syndrome, when that child's born and you get the diagnosis uh, and regional center, you contact regional center, is it pretty straightforward that you will be kind of the the first stop for uh, services for that child? So yes, usually someone may go out and do the assessment part, um, someone from regional center, but then the child development therapist or early intervention therapist uh, would be the first to go out there. And then from there, usually what happens is, you know, an, a physical therapist may come on board, occupation, occupational therapist maybe later down the line and later down the line, possibly a speech therapist. But yes, the child development therapist is usually the first one through the regional center. At what age do your therapies start? What, what age should parents expect this kind of help? It is birth to three. So if your child is born with Down syndrome, I would say as soon as you can. That's just my philosophy. Um, Now, let's say you don't know. I mean, sometimes children don't show exhibit any delays. As soon as you find if you as soon as you feel like there's something not right and your gut tells you, then as soon as you can is basically I've worked with babies starting at six weeks old, Um, premature babies. It used to be that right away we would go in straight away to any baby's premature. Now it's a little bit different. I think maybe with budget cuts, they just sort of wait to make sure, you know, maybe the baby is not going to have any delays, you know, but I always say earlier, the better. What do you find the family's concerns are? So a lot of times I'll come into the home and let's say it's a child maybe with Down syndrome and I've come into the home And they've already been heard by maybe other professionals on what their child is going to be doing or is not going to be doing. Um, And so some of the concerns that the families are having is that their child is this age and is not doing what they're supposed to be doing at that age. Let's say they're supposed to be standing at this age and they're not doing that. So those are a lot of their concerns. And I'm trying to go in there to show them, look, your child, let's look at not what the book says over here what your child's supposed to be doing, but let's look at John right here. Right now, he's almost kneeling, but you know what? Let's just focus on what's the next step. Okay, the next step's pulling to stand. So basically, their concerns are their child's not doing what the other children are doing. 
at a certain time. And I, I always try to say, let's see what he's doing now. So I think a lot of their concerns are always comparing their child is not doing what the other child was doing at a certain age. That was, a, I think, a milestone for me as a parent was to be able to just, I'm not going to look outside my blinders. I'm just going to be right here. Because they tell you not to, with Sophia, well, don't compare her. She's going to get there. She's going to. And I always try to encourage parents that that's with every child, a neurotypical child or a child with Down syndrome or whatever challenge that they may have. They're who they are and that we can support them to reach their potential. Right. Yeah, I know. Because, you know, there's developmental milestones that children, you know, go through and it's at a certain age. Um, so a lot of times I discuss with my families, let's try to see where he is, not his age, but where he is now. Looking more at the sequence of milestones achieved rather than at the age. So just like keep going from there. So kind of pointing out where they are and going from there. And yeah, trying to, I think what Lori said earlier, putting blinders on and not, not trying to see, oh, but this child is this age, He's, he is sitting. Does that make sense? Yeah, be in the moment. Be in the moment. Yeah, exactly. Um, and just going from there. Like a child with Down syndrome, they'll eventually, they'll be reaching that milestone, but it'll, it might be a little bit later than what the milestone, what, what it says that the age is doing. Just, But I just like to see as long as we're, the curve is going up, right? As long as we're, you know, we're, we're going to the next step. Nope, now he's sitting almost on his own. Nope, and then the next step he's sitting as opposed to, oh, he's like nine months and he's not sitting yet. But like, oh, but you know what? Look how far he's come. He's now sitting, you know, leaning on, you know, the pillow or something like that. Maybe just talk about how you feel and your opinion on, on how uh, a parent can deal with some of the feelings of, of milestones and judging themselves. Because this, this is, can be a stressful situation for parents, uh, having a child that maybe you know has a disability or you're, you're not sure and, and, and how's this going to work out and then you come in. And I know, I know you probably run into parents that have uh, all across the spectrum feeling different things. And maybe you could... Uh, give a little advice to parents out there that may have the stress and worry. I know my, my goal is always when I go into a family is just really, let's look at the child's strengths. Let's see where he is right now and let's go from there. So I, I think it's important for families just to look at what your child is doing. Look at right now. He might not be reaching for that rattle, but look how he's smiling at you. And let's see if we can help him reach that reach that rattle and let's go from there and let's try just to write down and see from week to week what he's now doing like finding any little thing I mean I've worked with families who have children with multiple disabilities visually impaired or hearing impaired so they're feeling like their child's not doing anything but then I would go in there and I would just look at the child and he'll smile. I said, oh, my gosh, look, he looked at me and he smiled. Just finding whatever it is that child is doing and then elaborating and going from there. I think that's the, that that's the key is stop comparing, which I know is hard, but finding what your child, what he likes, what he dislikes and what he's doing. And then just taking that strength and moving forward. Um, I think the key to learning, too, is finding out what your child likes. 
And then whatever that is. So I always ask families when I first kind of go see them, what does your child like to play with? Sometimes they're like, oh, he doesn't like to play with anything. I'm like, oh, well, what does he, you know, what does he do? He's like, oh, well, he does, you know, like this one particular toy over here. I'm like, great. What can we do with that? And let's, let's see, can we add another toy to it? Can we have them maybe bang on a toy? You know, just taking whatever the child is doing or what his strengths are and then just moving forward with that. I mean, that would be my, my advice to families is just looking at what your child is doing and then just keep moving forward, um, you know, to see what the next step will be. But not all strengths come across as a strength. I remember being concerned about Liam talking to himself and babbling. You know, was that something that was was a, a milestone or was that something to be concerned about? And tell us why babbling and talking to yourself are so important. Yeah, actually, as babies, as they, you know, at first when they're born and for the first few months, it's sort of a lots of vowels and oohs and ahs. Um, sounds. Um, and then as they get older, it, it becomes a little bit, there's some more double consonants, a little bit of a ba or some B's, B's, D's, P's, and then ba, 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 da, da, da. <clears throat> so why babbling is important. It's a good indicator of their expressive language for later on. Um, so, you know, usually if I'm working with a baby and I do hear lots of babbling back and forth and sounds, it's usually a pretty good indicator that, you know, his talking later on is it's, it's going to be coming along. Um, if I don't hear any babbling, then, you know, sometimes, you know, at the time that they're supposed to be, um, you know, and closer, you know, to a year or so, then, you know, there could be things just like, you know, ear infections or things, you know, some indic some things could be like they just can't hear very well or things like that. But anyway, babbling is actually sort of like a pre, it's a pre-talking skill. So if they're able to babble, it's, it's kind of before, it's kind of the beginning of talking. Um, and then, you know, talk, talking to yourself is just part of development. Um, I think, you know, bab babies tend to also babble to themselves and as they get older um, and they have more words and then they can sit and pretend play and kind of talk to themselves as part of development. Um, and it's just, it's, it's great practice for them just to continue using the words, using the sounds um, and pretending and imitating others. Um, yeah, so I, 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 I do think it's important. And I think also what's really important is to kind of have that turn taking of babbling back and forth. You know, if the baby's doing a ba, then you do the ba and see if he'll, he'll imitate you. And then, you know, you could kind of switch it up. Oh, he said ba, you're going to do da and see if he kind of imitates that. So, so yeah, so I do think, um, you know, it's important babbling and it's part of development for babies, you know, up to a year and then starting to use more words and then talking goes from there. Well, I remember there was a little concern with Liam uh, about his ears. He had some ear infections, but he ended up getting tubes in his ears, but not real early. I mean, I remember getting a little cocky inside saying, oh, he's still doing well as we went to the ear doctor. But we then did get to a point where we went to uh, doctor and we had a uh, kind of a soundproof room that we sat in with Liam and tried to test his hearing and I didn't realize how just the fluid in his ears and, and that kind of muffled sound how that would affect his speech right and once the tubes are in my son had tubes as well boy 
it starts coming then you know because what they they could be hearing obviously you you would say Liam and he would turn but they probably he probably maybe heard a lots of kind of you know muffling you know like not clear words so that does affect language I mean my son had numerous ear infections up until a year and wasn't you know, talking as much. And then once the tubes came in, it made a difference. But his expressive language was a little bit behind. But you know what, then they catch up or, you know, they start talking and they, they, they're able to hear a lot better. Because that's really, I mean, to learn to talk is really listening too. you know, us dialoguing and reading to them, and then them listening, being able to hear us, right, is really important. I remember, well, actually, I've talked to uh, several parents of children with Down syndrome, and a majority of them have, their child has had tubes put in at one point, and I know it's probably a higher percentage of Down syndrome children just because the narrowing of the earway, but like you said, well, your son, it is a typical thing, not something to be worried about. It is something that that happens to to, to any child. Right, and I know it's scary because I'm not sure with Liam, but from what I remember, my son had to be put under and that is scary to get the tubes in but I have to say it was it's just well worth it because the tube what that does it drains all that liquid out and then they're able to hear us more clearly yeah I believe it was a outpatient surgery technically but he was put under that scares parents and I totally understand I mean my son was a year I think Liam might have been older because I actually don't remember that with Liam he was a bit older Okay, yeah, it's scary either way, uh, but um, but it, it it's outpatient and it's it was it was very much worth it. I mean, my it, son now you know is talking and Liam obviously is using his language and so it's it's a good thing. I do remember that the tubes were very scary. Just the potential of surgery and all that embraces, and also the the reality of uh, okay, here's here's a new challenge, and what is it gonna mean, and what will it be, and all these unknowns came to the surface, along with a lot of other unknowns that I had maybe pushed down. So uh, I definitely wish I had known then uh, exactly what the surgery was, and even even though it was still a little scary because it is a surgery and there is anesthesia, but. Uh, if I would have had some insight on this side that I have now on this side of it. So Caroline, the name of our podcast is If We Knew Then. Is there anything that you would like to share? And if you knew then? Yeah. So I guess 10 years ago, my suggestions to the families maybe 10 years ago was a little bit more of, oh, well, at this age, he needs to just not do that, not have the bottle. You know, it was just sort of, you know, the book says, you know, and my approach now, as as I had kids and gotten older is, let's, you know, what, what do you need to do to feel good? And, you know, I, it's a slower approach, I guess it would be to like, you know, suggesting something, let's say it's time to wean from the bottle, I'd be like, Oh, well, let's just see. And let's check with your pediatrician. And it wouldn't be so like, you have to do this at now. It's like, what what makes you feel good right now? And let's see how we could help that. I'm I'm not sure if I'm making No, that makes total sense. It makes total sense. That's how parents of a child with disability feel. They feel uh, that they're not really allowed to just let it come as it comes, you know, to relax and take a breath. 
And that's what our podcast is about, is that it's much easier if you have a typical child to just say, oh, this is what I'm doing. I'm just kind of, hey, they'll get it and, when they get it. It's and be the good. world gives you permission to do yeah, that, too. Because you that. if you start getting hard on yourself as a parent, I mean, the whole the social media, there's, you know, people are like, hey, and I told Stephen the other day, <laughs> one post was, you're fine. Your kid's not missing anything. They're going to learn it. They're not falling behind. And, you know, there was a stream of people behind it going, that's right, relax, you don't have to do the homework. And I honestly wanted to throw up because I'm like, no, I don't have that luxury. My child will fall behind. And if yours falls behind, people will say, pandemic, it's okay, you'll catch up. They won't use words like regression. Yeah, they won't say regression. They won't say special day class. They won't say off curriculum. And if my child falls behind, that's the consequence. And I didn't say anything because I know that everybody's trying is everybody's lifting each other up right now. And that's that's my uh, that's the line I walk. And these were just other people trying to support themselves. But if you do have a child with Down syndrome, it's not all you're not always given the same luxury, like you said. And so that permission that you give to hear it from just one person who shares your experiences or understands the challenges that you have that's a gift it's life-changing it's life-changing for the parents uh, and it's it's definitely life-changing for the child oh definitely so we thank you you're welcome (laughs) you're welcome that's great i'm so i'm I'm glad that you know and it's just going to make me want to do even more please follow us on twitter at if we knew then pod and you can drop us a line on our facebook page at if we knew then pod or visit our website, ifweknewthen.com, to send us an email with questions and comments. And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. Amazon.